they don't care. When it comes down to it, they want to make their show, and the show must go on, as they like to say. We come in, and if you haven't fed us within six hours, you have to pay money. And if it isn't a financial pain to them, then they don't care. Like, they would work us indefinitely without feeding us if they didn't have to. I mean, I've seen a director of photography go down to his knee with chest pains, have two department heads plus the medic next to him, and the director walks by him clutching his chest and comes up to us and is like, I know this is weird, guys, but we kind of got to keep going. And it's like, yeah, this is really weird. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we discuss careers in film. Today, I'm talking with John Vinson, who's based in New Orleans. He works in the grip department. Uh, He's worked as a key grip, as a dolly grip, as a best boy grip. And uh, some of his credits include Deepwater Horizon, the Mark Wahlberg film about the oil rig disaster that happened down in the Gulf of Mexico. He also worked on the Academy Award winning uh, Green Book with Viggo Mortensen and also uh, worked on Captain Marvel. John has a lot to say about working in New Orleans. He also has a lot to say about working in the grip department. So let's go ahead and dive into it here with John. Glad we got a chance to, to get together. Yeah, no, I would have felt terrible if I had missed it because of all the talking back and forth. I was like, <laughs> all right, it's the day. Get up. <laughs> we did a good 14 and a half yesterday, so not terrible, but standard TV, really, which sucks. Yeah. So every day is can pretty much count on that. Only 21 weeks left. <laughs> That's uh, that's a while. I know. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's nearly half a year. Yeah, it's gonna be a long show. It's I'll all s- local though, at least, right? Yeah, it'll be like you know surrounding area, so yeah. everything should be within an hour to thirty minutes. Well, John, thank you for taking some of your precious time off to sit down with me. It is limited, usually, unfortunately. There are a lot of different ways to start something like this, but why don't we just start with you telling me about your week? Uh, I just started prep on a TV show called Cause for TNT. So we had two days of prep, which is an extremely small amount of time, but it was just to get the dollies ready and build out a Shorty 40, which is our tiny truck to transport way too much gear for the size of the truck to wherever we're working on set. <laughs> Shorty 40. Now, what does that... Where does that name come from? Well, uh, Is it a 40-foot truck? The bigger trucks that we usually have are 48-footers. Okay. So these are our shorty 40s, which is our way of saying we're going to cram about a 40-foot truck's worth of gear onto this little truck that you shouldn't take over weight scales, probably. Oh, I see. It's not a 40-foot truck. No, no. It ought to be. It's our shorty 40. It's the compact version of what we'd like to have with us. I see. So um, we got that fitted out. Roughly, which we'll keep on refining that until basically the end of the show where we catch up eventually and uh, I call it prep, where we're prepping and wrapping almost at the same time throughout the show. And um, Prep, that's a good one. Then we started up um, shooting on Wednesday and uh, it's been all location work so far. We've got a lot of stage work to come, but uh, it's going to be a whole lot of TV, it's a lot of location stuff with two to three locations a day, so it's full unload the trucks, set up for hours, shoot, 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 
tear down, move to the next place and until they run out of time and the UPM pulls the plug or we make our day, which hasn't been happening often on this one so far. You've had uh, uh, three days of shooting so far out of 40-something weeks. No, 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 20-something weeks. Yeah, 21 so far, but we haven't made our day yet, so I'd say right now we've got an extra day added to the schedule already. So you're three in and you're one behind. I'd say at least. Yeah. (laughs) It's not the best ratio. (laughs) You're on the one truck then, and how long is an actual shorty 40? How long is is it actually since it's not 40? It varies slightly, but I mean, it's probably 20 feet long. Okay. About eight to ten foot ceilings jockey boxes an attic the mom mom's attic i believe they call it yeah well that's what you all calls it yeah so um i mean it's basically one of those trucks it's just stripped down but it's got e-track so you can build out racks and we constantly tear them down rebuild them every show so it's one of those things that gets old very quickly but necessary step at the beginning of each one so you build custom racks for the package that you've got for the show. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, either out of lumber or speed rail, which um, if somebody wasn't familiar, I'd just say it's like a giant uh, Lego set made out of metal with a bunch of specific fittings that you can build to your liking. Yeah, and it's inch and a quarter, inch and a quarter aluminum, is that right? Uh, you've got inch and a quarter, you've got one inch, three quarter, you've got two inch i got a one crew i run with who only uses inch and a half because it's stronger okay but it also adds a lot of weight right but um it's kind of just work with whatever you've got per show if you don't have the ability to you know bring your own and state your own business like oh this is what we will have yeah but you usually don't have that kind of leeway when you're coming into a show it's like this is what we have budgeted what can we get right so you get to work within the tools that you have at the time so there's plenty of times where they tell you that they need to do something and you're like well they specifically make things to do what you're talking about and now we have to figure out how to do it with whatever gear is available at the time right um and maybe a little context would be helpful uh what uh department do you work in and what hats do you usually wear in that department I've ended up working just about every department throughout the years, but I uh, mainly occupy the grip department, which always is terrible to try and explain to people because I can see their eyes starting to roll back into their head the more I drone on and the androgynous language that I've had to develop over the years starts to slip in without me knowing. And then I'm like, oh, these are all buzzwords that nobody's going to understand. Right. But I uh, think one of the easiest things I've heard is we plumb light. We make it go places that it wasn't supposed to go naturally. If something's too bright, we'll put up huge rags to take the sun out of the equation. We'll tent buildings out so we can shoot night indefinitely in there because nothing can happen in an eight-hour day for some reason in this industry. So the sun's eventually going to come up and people want to keep shooting. So they try and ask us, how many black rags do you have to take the sun away from us? Which is terrible a lot of the time. (laughs) It's never something that we want to hear because ideally, you know, natural conditions play and then you enhance a little, you bring a little bounce in. But if you see a camera moving, you see it attached to a car, it's 
probably a group that put it there yeah. or is in the process of moving it. Yeah. Which I'm pushing Dowie on this show, which um, is a three to 450-pound metal sled on wheels that has a hydraulic arm that has a pressure control valve that raises the arm up and down. You lay out track or dance floor, which uh, is just four-by-eight birch lumber, which gives you freedom of movement back to forth, but is also far heavier <laughs> to bring in. Right. Wait, so you're saying instead of a track, you use birch sometimes? Yeah, um, and that's mainly because either one, they don't know where the actor's going to end up landing. Because okay. track, track, you have to be so specific. The yeah. actor has to hit their mark. The AC has to be on focus. Yeah. The operator has to have, be where he needs to be. And the dolly have to be where I need to be at that moment. And if any of us are off, then your focus is soft and your shot's not usable right so there's so many working parts that have to be right so if i'm on dance floor the actor mixes their mark by a couple feet i can adjust to them and hopefully help the ac out to where he's not having to really chase hmm. the focus oh interesting what you're talking about that's one of the things i've actually kind of always liked about dolly work is the precision that it gives you and sort of requires too like everybody had to be right on their game and when you did it right it, it, it like it's it seamless when it works well, yeah. but it's amazing how quickly it can go wrong. Oh, uh, yeah, no question. Well, there are, there are multiple people, at least three, maybe more, that need to um, land everything just right, uh, or else it all falls apart. And a lot of times they treat these moves as if it's they're going to play it for the entire scene. Right. And we'll shoot it start to finish, and then you're actually like, you're like, oh, I can't wait to see that move, and then you watch it, and then it's just gotten <laughs> it's chopped to pieces. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay, moving on. That was all I really wanted to see was that move. But, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. Well, it's interesting. You know, you're talking about um, using dollies, and I think that um, even going back to the days when Steadicam first came on the scene, people sort of felt like that was the handwriting on the wall for the death of dolly work and then and they say just, the same thing about drones and right and now we have um <coughs> gimbals and all that stuff um and all those technologies i think have their place but dolly's still working i mean they're never going to get rid of it and if they do it's going to be because of such a massive shift in technology that nobody even expects to happen yeah i mean it's the same thing when the lights started to get like the majority of the electrician's lights now have the gels built in, so you can just dial them in instead of throwing actual gel on it. And they're like, uh, you know, all these lights are getting lighter, they can color them themselves and diffuse them themselves, not going to need as many grips. And it's like, no, you're going to still need every bit of the camera support and really grip department gets leaned on very heavily by most departments. Last I checked, the light couldn't bounce itself. Well, there's just a lot uh, <laughs> of so many little nuanced, stupid to important things that we do on a daily basis that uh, just general set operations couldn't happen. And it's yeah. the same way with every department that, you know, you need all these working pieces and they've been refining this craft for 100 plus years. And there's only so much you need to change the wheel. Right. Where are you from? originally lexington kentucky kentucky okay uh how did you get working in the film business <laughs> i went to art college in uh columbus ohio and uh during a 
bit of downtime, I remember seeing an ad for an indie film that was coming to town called Johnny Appleweed. And uh, I figured I'd either uh, run into some interesting people, have some funny stories to tell, and or fall into something that I enjoyed, which ended up being a mix of both. And uh, I was working for free for that month, which was insane. But uh, the shop that was renting the gear to the show had a guy who worked with them who, you know, worked professionally. So he liked how I worked for free, figured I would work hard for money, and uh, started working me from there. So it just kind of kept expanding word of mouth and then went from where I'd have a little bit of downtime in between things to where I just don't anymore. So you went to school for illustration? Is that, am yeah. I remembering that correctly? Illustration, and um, much like my ADD personality, I pretty much bounced around all spectrums of the art mm -hmm. world. Still just kind of fell into this, because one, it's a lot of weird experiences and places that you never get to go regard like normally. And um, yeah, I mean, it pays well. <laughs> so yeah. that makes it tough to walk away from as well, and it's pretty tough for my skills over the years to translate to much else besides the film world. Ohio is where we we met. Yeah, back on... Um, old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, yep. yep. Well, like, um, when I was working in Ohio, I was mainly doing commercial work. And then, which is usually big money for a short while at a time. And, you know, they usually don't spare much of an expense. And then in the... Right, commercials have a relatively big budget for what they're trying to accomplish. Huge. Yeah. I mean, even by movie standards. Like, yeah. You know, you'll get on some shows and they're spending about $10,000 an hour. Oh, wow. And, you know, commercials, they could be spending a million dollars a day. Yeah. You see a problem in one of those things and they start just throwing money at it until the problem disappears. Where in the indie world, it's like, all right, we've got a 21-day shoot... We have twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> right, thousand dollars. Gear is going to eat half of it. Yeah, right and, or more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and you just don't have that wiggle room. But um, it's weird because, you know, you don't have the manpower, you don't have the gear that you would normally have on the situation, you don't have the time that you would normally have for the situation, and you have to make a lot of allowances that you normally wouldn't want to. So it's, um, sadly enough, the indie world and the, like, big budget world have so much in common in that, like, anymore there isn't the amount of planning that should go into things. The time waste that happens on a smaller show and bigger show is almost identical a lot of the time. Oh, really? What are some of the common time wasters that you see? Well, I mean, a lot of the time it feels like storyboarding, for one thing, should be so more so much more standard than it is or at least right. an, an animatic to where the director has a feel for timing where they want the angles to be i mean i've seen some directors who come in and they're like all right a camera on baby sticks in the corner with the 35 millimeter lens b camera over here and hi-hat package blah 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 and i mean they're dialed in they know exactly what they need they're like no that doesn't matter if we didn't get that line on this angle i'm already going to be cut to this angle on this camera so, I mean, those guys, like, they've, they've already edited the scene in their head. Right. But there's a lot of guys who we will shoot every conceivable angle, the line be damned, we are going to be up, down, side to side, and they're just going to 
let the editor direct the and scene. It, and every every angle has to be perfect, top to bottom. Too, top to sometimes. bottom for scene. Yeah. The, recovering dialogue from somebody's back for a half a page that we're never going to see and it's like a huge waste of time just not knowing what they need so just listening to what you're saying telling tell me if i heard you correctly what you're really saying is that lack of preparation translates to people not really knowing what they want on set so they get everything they can think of hoping that they'll have what they want by the time it comes to edit they try to cover every angle conceivable and that's one of the I mean, it's not even hard stuff. It'll be a tabletop where it's two people talking back and forth. And you're like, okay, we come in, we shoot a wide. We come in for coverage on this side. We turn around. We shoot. Punch in. Scene. Right. But somehow (laughs) that can become a thousand shots. And you're like, it was only a two-page portion of your seven-page day. And you're like okay we're past lunch by an hour and a half like it's just time management is a really fickle thing on a film set and some of the people who are supposed to be wrangling those people have their hands tied because they're beholden to production as well it's like there's only so much power a lot of these positions have in terms of like hey you're running out of time we're moving now and that really comes down to the money men who can pull the plug and be like okay this is your day doesn't matter if you want more time i've seen a director be like all right we've got list off 15 more shots and the ad's like we've got two minutes left and we're like okay that's a wrap i've heard i've heard it said that um production is often gone with the wind in the morning and dukes of hazard by rap uh, you'll see the pace quicken every time and it's amazing how quickly they can move when they finally realize that they just isn't anymore but uh, i think it's Sometimes it's them being completely oblivious. Sometimes it's them being so excited about what they're doing that time just moves in a different fashion. Yes, because time is a very relative thing. Well, you know, having had, I mean, I think everybody in film has had a few different positions, and I think the the more you're the one who has has the ball, or you know, like if you're the quarterback on the field with the ball on your hand and everybody's trying to tackle you that's different than everybody watching the game from home. And I think you just have, uh, it's, it's hard like being in those positions, I guess is what I'm saying. It's very tough. And I mean, I I take nothing away from the stress that's put on that position or the skill that it takes to do it. It's just those positions like can be the type of anchor that'll sink a ship. Oh, sure. Yeah. And like too many times we've got these so much experience in the crew around an inexperienced DP, a new director, a deficient AD, mm. and those things will murder our efficiency. Like, there's only so much quickness and prompt response that we can do on our part to actually speed up a day. Yeah. At the end of the day, it comes to those positions, making those decisions so we can react. That's, uh, that's really interesting what you're saying, because I've experienced that as well. And as a, you know, when I'm working as a cinematographer, you know, camera department definitely does, and a cinematographer does definitely have the ability to slow down a shoot. Uh, but it feels, it's really hard to speed up a shoot. One department, like one department cannot speed up a shoot. And it, it's just, just too many working pieces and it's got to be really a strong voice to wrangle all these people. Because if you give a 
operator time, they're going to keep tweaking things. Like, they're like, oh, 10 minutes till they're there? Okay, well, what if we put this light here? And then the next thing you know, it's like, oh, that took longer than we anticipated, so now we're waiting and talent's on set. Right. And, you know, well, right. it's a weird mix, too, of like, all right, we did a three-hour lighting setup for a scene that's, for a frame that's going to be on screen for a minute and a half, maybe less, and it's like, all right, well, what did that three hours of setup add to the actual box office or outcome of the story? Like, what extra did it give to us in terms of telling that story? And sometimes it's questionable whether or not it's worth it. Sure. Sometimes you don't really need that Roger Deakins, like, cinematography on the show that you're currently doing. If I'm working on an MTV episodic, it's going to be shown on a tablet on some kid's lap who can't see any, all the stuff that we're staring at so intently in the background and we always say if you're looking at the background then the story's no good <laughs> yeah well that's true of course at the same time that gives you job security I mean I can't complain either way it's just one of those things where it's like you see the inefficiency at play sometimes and if you've got the money play away I don't care I will work your show indefinitely as long as you pay me yeah I mean, but at the end of the day, I don't really care if you make your day. Like, if you've got your call sheet set up and you've got 18 pages on there and 14 locations, I'm going to look at it sadly, shake my head, and start the day. And then however far we get before you pull the plug is how far we get. I'm going to work very hard throughout that time. I'm going to try to give you what you need, but I'm also going to acknowledge the ridiculous nature of the schedule you've set. On the indies, it does tend to, like, you're burning the candle at both ends, and it can take a toll sometime. And yeah. it's, and sadly enough, it's like I was coming from the commercial world where we're making, you know, way too much money for what we're doing at the time. And unfortunately, it's a weird metric that's worked out over the years where the less money I'm getting paid the harder I'm getting worked. Yeah, that's probably true. And that, it can be a little harder to like keep your head in the game and stay focused as much when you take pay hits and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not to say that that like should be the barometer. You take a job, you finish a job, but at the same time, it's like after so many years of it, this industry kind of grinding you down, it gets a little yeah. harder to manufacture Inspirato. I was actually just up in Ohio, in uh, Columbus and Cleveland, and uh, also up in Chicago. Uh, how does New Orleans compare? Uh, it's, you know, they're very similar industries in, like, such a small circle. Like, I've probably got eight to ten guys from Ohio who moved down here that I hang out with, usually at work. But... Um, you know, there's a very, you could write up a psychological profile of crew members because there's a certain type of uh, psychopath that occupies this industry. Yeah, who's got to be willing to, you know, forego life for whatever minimal level of celebrity and Facebook appeal that the <laughs> film industry has. I mean, it looks cool on paper, and at times it's. I mean, there's no doubt I've worked it 14 years. I've loved so much of it. But it's also a double-edged sword. And you got to kind of pick your battles there. 
And in terms of New Orleans difference, I'd say it's just that uh, the same laissez-faire kind of mentality that uh, brings people to New Orleans is why filmmakers wanted to be here. It works out nice for me because if I get off at four in the morning, I can go to a bar, have a drink, get a burger, and nobody's going to look at me like a psycho. I do remember those days in Ohio so often when I'd be coming into the hotel, seeing a bunch of like oil refinery workers or whatever going in for their like 5, 6 a.m. shift while I've got a couple 12 packs under my arm and they're just like staring at me like I need to go to a meeting somewhere. <laughs> Like, hey, buddy, I just got off work. Sorry. <laughs> Did not mean to offend. What, what is the culture like down here? I mean, as advertised, really, it's a lot of people who party a lot, go to see a lot of live music. It all revolves around food, music, and festivals. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're going all year long. It's one of my favorite places to live in that, like, I keep saying... You know, everywhere else in the U.S., you're going to see the same Best Buy next to the same Applebee's, next to the same chain, whatever. Then here, there's a lot more personality and character. Do you feel safe here? Personally, I do. But, yeah. like, you know, I, I know the statistics, and I know that there's good possibilities of running into something. But I think a lot of the people that find themselves in bad situations here just get too caught up in the like air of the freedom to do what you want here and go party and they probably put themselves into a bad spot mm, yeah because i've been walking through areas that i definitely shouldn't be in at four or five in the morning never had an issue hmm. and i'm not saying that's because well it might be because i look like i'm poor maybe they're like oh he's not worth it <laughs> but i also think that i just don't make myself a target yeah I mean, it's a town that thrives on tourists, so yeah. same way that the businesses do, the panhandlers do. I mean, you see the guys head to toe in silver and gold paint who sit there. And you know why they do? Because they're making enough money doing it. Only thing that gets to me is the kids on Bourbon Street, like, playing buckets, and I'm just like, good God, get these little kids off this street. It's <laughs> terrible seeing them out there. You said a couple minutes ago that... Uh, it's good money. Uh, I don't want to be too personal and ask exactly what that means, but um, these are mostly union shows that yeah. you're working on. And as union shows, uh, you're part of the 478? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so what's what's the scale like? Like, um, like your uh, tier ones, which would be like, which I didn't even know they had tier zeros, which is, I guess, your bottom barrel budget you got tier one zero through three and then you hit area standards which is your big big budget which weirdly enough when you're at like tier one you get like better amenities where you'll get like if you're out of town you'll get per diem you'll get stipends which is uh putting you up for in a hotel or giving you a certain dollar amount a day for your living and per diem of course is your money per day to eat on right which if you play it well and keep yourself moderate you can make some decent extra money on those shows that are paying a lower wage because i think so tier one and, and so on yeah because tier ones will pay you i think like 19 an hour as a hammer which a hammer is a third in the grip department so okay. basically the lowest 
member of the department. It's like a, a rank and file grip. Very much so. Yeah. So you got your key grip at the top of the barrel, the best boy grip underneath him who handles manpower, special equipment, rentals, and basically helps out on like custom builds and rigs or just generally shuffling gear to set. And then you've got your dolly grips who camera support and mm -hmm. camera movement. And then you've got your hammers, who are basically like your set technicians, who are going to be setting flags, setting frames, running in anything that you need. As a third, you know, you make usually at least like between a 10 to $5 difference than the higher department heads, at I least see. within our department. I see, yeah. So, but like on the bigger stuff, you'll be making normally around like 35-ish an hour for until you start getting into your overtime. Now, is that 35 an hour for 12, or does that No, it's for eight, it's for eight hours. It's for eight, so it's... And then you go to time and a half, and it changes for eight, based... eight hours to 12, right? Well, it changes based on the schedule, because or on the uh, contract, because TV is unfortunately 14 hours until double time. Oh, okay. Which so, so means TV you're going to... So TV and film have different... Um, different regulations it's a weird longevity thing where like they'll make you trade off some cash for the security of knowing that you're going to have a job for 21 weeks right as opposed to more cash over a shorter period i mean because you're working f when you have when you're booked straight for 21 weeks you're working more days probably than you would if you're working shorter projects pretty much i mean it, there's uh, such a high turnaround rate for work here that really I've had a month off at a time for if that yeah per year okay yeah so it just depends on what's going on I mean I always take the job that's makes more financial success and or doesn't seem like it's going to kill you like if I hear it's a western I don't want to work that show same <laughs> because? as if it's well, it's just grueling locations. You're going to be out okay. in the middle of nowhere. It's like sandy. It's just certain things that are cues that are like, okay, I'm going to get beaten up on this show. Yeah. It's like a slavery picture. Like, I, I know that they're going to abuse us on it. It's <laughs> right. period piece. You're out in plantations and cotton fields. It's terrible places to work, obviously. And, you know... If I can avoid working on those conditions, I'm certainly going to try my best to. But it's one of those things of, you know, pick your poison. And if there's no work going on, then your options are very limited. So you got to kind of jump on what you can. But it sounds like you're staying busy. I mean... You know, it's a small... We had a... Our tax incentive got kind of shuffled around a bit and was in question for a little while, so... You know, people did what they do, which is go where the work is, which currently Atlanta has been booming for quite a while. So we lost a lot of people to them, but we kept enough work trickling in to keep us all busy. So now things are ramping up to the point where, you know, we're almost busier than when they started to mess with the incentives, but we also lost a lot of our bench. Okay. So now we're kind of almost back to pulling bodies off the street and trying to train them. So you, right now, the demand is outpacing the the workforce. Easily. Yeah. I'd say just about every crew has a couple green people on it. But, I mean, that's also what I 
think Atlanta is probably one of the scariest places to work right now because I guarantee you it's the best collection of some of the like greatest technicians from around the country and probably some of the greenest most dangerous people because you just can't have that much work and crew up everything with qualified people not when there's so many incentive markets around the nation that all have split the workforce so if it was all in california it's like okay everybody's there but once you start separating all these different markets you're thinning the waters but for a young person looking to to find a you know a, a, a foothold if you will get their foot in the door um that's a that's a good thing. Like if you can identify a market where suddenly there's an influx of production and there's not enough folks to to go around. And that's all just a matter of patience and meeting people and staying persistent while not being annoying. Because <laughs> I get up people who ask me to help them out, and I always want to like throw people work, but it's also it's a spur of the moment thing, and we're always going to try and find people who already know what they're doing. And then once we can't find them, and then we can't find the dude who we don't really want there. Because <laughs> so, there's always people who can do the job, but just, you know, they aren't really going to help out your day that much. Right. So it's like, okay, you know, I'd love to have a beer with you, but I don't really like seeing you on set. You're a nice guy, <laughs> but you don't really help out. And then once you burn through those guys, you're like, okay, now we just need a body. I don't, I don't care if they know a thing. We just need somebody who can haul sandbags. And then if you're, you know, catch on and you start to seem like you're savvy and can think for yourself, you'll get more days. Yeah. But it'll be a slow trickle until that point. You just never know. Do uh, people get nick- nicknames on set? <laughs> Quite a few. Some people I only know by their nicknames. Terribly enough, like I'm one of the worst people with names possible like almost everybody is hey buddy hey honey how you doing like i I, after working in ohio for so long and then working here for so long everybody looks like a stranger and a friend at the same time right like and then you've got the people who you've seen on set for years but never really talked to so you're like i might know you like i was working with an operator for six weeks side by side we leave that show it's been six months since we've seen each other we get on to another show introduce each other because i'm like oh yeah you know you look familiar yeah you too three weeks later i see him wearing a crew shirt from the show we originally worked on i was like that's where i know you from and it was like hugs and like how have you been (laughs) (laughs) it's just a weird thing like that it's just it's so hard to retain all that information and under the conditions that we usually get into do you have a nickname i have had one guy call me grip jesus which spread throughout merely that crew and i forget even why he started that up but it was a funny one to me at the time but, uh, <laughs> you don't know how that started uh, it was one of those things where like a weird day where i just like made a couple of calls like you know just off to the side like hey you know this should be on the techno and then they're like suddenly it's like techno's coming in like okay cool and like dude i think it's about to rain like raindrops <laughs> and then like i don't know it was a series of like little things where immediately once i said something or noted something it happened immediately after and he was like i believe in grip jesus and then from there the rest of the show it was grip jesus <laughs> 
slightly if, sacrilegious in some like, circles. Seems like there was somebody on Old Fashioned that you guys called Stumbles with Grace or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I remember that vaguely, but it becomes this amalgamous blob of like still images and video and audio clips and some of the footage is missing and like I just can't remember anything anymore. It's all just blurred together. We we were talking about the start of the show on Wednesday, and we we're like, "Where where did we start?" And they're like, "I'm like the barbecue scene," and they're like, oh, "That was just three days ago." It was like that feels like weeks ago. Yeah, that's one thing about production for sure. Is it seems like uh, the the pace of it, it it like two days can seem like two weeks. And it seems like forever while you're stuck in it. And then once it's over, you're like, okay, that happened. Like, it's, it's that weird thing of time being relative. If I'm at lunch, the time will fly relentlessly by. But the second I'm back on the clock, it's like the handbrake gets pulled. And suddenly yeah. time's like, no, no, we're going to draw this out. You're going to feel every second of this. What do you enjoy about uh, working on movies and working in the grip department? Grip department, I just like for the creative nature of it. Because, like I said, you've got a set number of tools and you have to figure out different applications for them. Sometimes it's like tried and true. And then other times you're like, all right, this is where we need this to be. We can't damage this place. So we've got to come up with something other than what we'd like to do. Because half the time, if you tell us to mount something somewhere, first thing we'd like to do is drill holes through it, run bolts through it, make a hard mount, and like you know solid point but then there are times where you can't destroy things right so it's you like have the, to f- the crown molding in this mansion it is not going to be acceptable to to drill into yeah it. which is like okay well why are we here then? <laughs> it's like we need you know there's a lot of dangerous things that we have above people's heads a lot of the times and they yeah. take it for granted that we know exactly what we're doing which yeah majority of the time you've got good technicians who are working i like to put redundancies into every rig i do where if one thing fails something else is catching that point yeah so i I tend to overthink and over rig just because i don't want to hurt somebody ever (laughs) i don't i don't want to be the guy whose rig failed and so like i enjoy the creative side of it and i enjoy doing like car mounts and camera rigs with all these pieces and parts and the mad scramble and the heat of the moment where all these people are staring at you waiting for you to get these things done something about that mix of pressure slash innovation and it's very much like a creative group coming together to be like okay well this needs to happen this needs to happen you grab this i grab this and then we'll meet in the middle and figure it out and then as you're building you figure out things that you could do differently and you know, it's just a good process in that way. The first thing that you said is the the creative nature of it. And I think many people who just sort of read a quick uh, blurb about what a grip does, they might think, well, that, you know, the creative person is a screenwriter or the director or something. But that's it's not limited to that. You know, a lot of the trades involved, there's a lot of creativity that has to come to bear in those positions as well. And I think people aren't always aware of that. Yeah, I mean, especially for like, your effects guys who are wiring up explosives or like your practical effects for the makeup department where they're putting applications of foam and makeup and 
just like there's a crazy amount that goes into any movie or scene that gets done that nobody's ever going to be aware of and half you know half the time people are always like this is you doing all this for one shot and it's like you wouldn't have any concept of what gets done for one shot at sometimes especially ones that you're never going to see <laughs> right might end up on the cutting room floor that's what happens with so many of these big long fancy camera movements you know i remember one show in particular we were in a cemetery here and you know the ground raises and falls about a foot or so every couple of feet and we've got to do a hundred foot of dolly track oh my and you know we pulled out every piece of lumber that we had in the truck we're chopping it up as we're going trying to fill in all these sections to get this track level for the move and the director comes out eventually and he's just like what is all this here for i only need 20 feet over here at this end 20 feet over here at this end and the dp just wanted it for his like reel <laughs> like he literally had us work for extra like hour and a half or two just so he could have this like shot that's never gonna be seen in the movie oh boy but, uh. it's just weird ego things like that at some time because it's not like we could ever be like hey do you sure you need all this we're just gonna be like okay camera starts here camera ends here how do i get those two to meet yeah that's the sad fortunate times where you're just like i know that this is never gonna play so why are we doing it? Yeah, well, um, it's pretty well established at this point that the movie business expects long hours. How do you how did de how do you deal with that? Is it worth it? Uh, that's the biggest uh, portion that I have been struggling with because, you know, nurses work twelve-hour days. They do what three on, four off. Yeah, which I think that sounds achievable. And actually, if you could guarantee me a twelve-hour day fine i could i could work that all the time but i mean we just got done doing a shoot and we worked 20 hours and i think i ended up walking 13 miles during that time and like it's abusive it's dangerous and it shouldn't be allowed to happen and we're talking union shoot like that's not even talking about stupid indies that like will abuse people like that but also you've got less manpower so you're getting beat up even more yeah but you know the tv world likes to start off the day at like 6 a.m on a monday and then by the time you get to friday you're coming in at like 4 to 6 p.m so you won't even get done until 6 a.m on saturday and then they want you back in at 6 a.m on monday so they keep pushing call to get you just enough turnaround well, it's not even about our turnaround. Our turnaround is only nine hours, which if they were to cut it to that, it would murder me quickly. Like, I need 12 hours. And that's, granted, a sh very compressed version of 12 hours to turn around because that's 12 hours usually from camera wrap because it's more about the actor's turnaround than ours. They don't make any decisions based on our well-being. It's what makes monetary sense and for them it's not us hmm. we are considered below the line for a reason and uh our pay scale would be much of that yeah we, the uh weirdly enough so what you're saying is you start early on a monday and then by the time friday comes you're not wrapping till saturday morning yeah friday yeah which uh 
it's unfortunately very common but they kind of choke the life out of your weekends and then it's tough sometimes to turn yourself around from days to nights yeah and you know you start to get into a rhythm with your schedule and then instantly it's over and done with is it five on two off though no, uh, I mean, sometimes you work six-day weeks, seven-day yeah. weeks, and those can go for however long they feel like paying you. But the bad thing is, is once you hit day eight, it's a new pay period, so you go back to straight time. Oh, I see. Which is their way of uh, screwing us over. And for some reason, it's okay. I don't really get it. I don't, I don't really see the uh, collective power of unions really f- flexing muscle We've given away a lot more than we're getting back anymore, mm-hmm. and the deals keep getting worse. So, you know, eventually it'll either come to a head and they'll start saying, no, we won't do it for this, or they'll just keep getting worse until, you know, you get more like Sarah Jones-like incidents and terrible working conditions. And, you know, you just shouldn't work people the hours that we do. You know, my understanding is that the only reason, really, that people put up with it is the money. Some people love the OT because they're, you know, they want to see it on the check. Yeah. But, you know, I keep saying whatever's good for the check is seldom good for the body. (laughs) And I want a little life in between all this. Like, I'm getting to the point where my downtime is more important to me than my time on. Yeah. And... You know, there's only so many birthdays, funerals, and holidays that you can skip before eventually you're out of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, That's true. You know, it's been 14 years of working 90-hour weeks or so, and that doesn't leave a lot of time for anything else in between. So at this point, I'm starting to get really burnt out on doing the year-to-year-to-year-to-year. Are you thinking about doing something else? constantly that's almost me all me and my friends talk about anymore is an an escape hatch just because we love the people but it's not us that's the problem the crew i work with in general around here in ohio that's family like those people are amazing i'd do anything for them but we're held hostage at the whims of madmen who want us to you know make their vision come true when some of the times you know they haven't done their due diligence like we've done our part we've trained our entire careers we're ready to give you what you need but you've got to be able to articulate it you've got to plan a reasonable schedule you've got to have the manpower and money to do what you want to accomplish it can't just be on us to put our head down and try the extra go the extra distance It's like, you know, we all want to make a good movie. Doesn't mean we should get, like, we don't get any residuals. We get a paycheck. You get the dream. You get to go to film festivals. You get to brag about it later on. We're lucky if we get our name put in half the time. I mean, I've worked so many entire shows start to finish where I was actually a pretty important member within that crew. And they won't even take the time to type your name into the credits, Mm. which I don't even care about. But my mom likes to see it. Yeah. Do you wish that you had not chosen this career path? I just wish I would have jumped out earlier or um, picked a different department. 
one that lifts less things. Because, uh, you know, there's plenty of people that get to sit around on a set all day and just kind of kick it. I'm not going to name names. I don't want to start a riot. Every department will tell you they've got it worse. And I, I acknowledge completely if you're on a film set for 12 to 17 hour days, it doesn't matter if you're just kicking it and sleeping in the truck. That's still a long day. But we carry things constantly. We go up ladders. We're doing dangerous things. And the wear and tear is very real. Like, unfortunately, I'm feeling it more and more. It's also just cumulative injuries. They start to take their toll, too. And I've gotten lucky more times than I care to think about in terms of those injuries. You know, fell off a 16-foot balcony, broke an index finger, bruised my ribs, but came out fine. But that could have been a career slash life ender. 16 feet is pretty high. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can tell you. You get down really quickly, but it's a hell of a height. But I got very lucky on that one. I mean, you hear close calls happen all the time. And sadly enough, you can't really find any resource for film deaths that I've been able to find. Oh, interesting. I've Like they don't... Like, I've seen no statistics. statistics. And I tried... I got really like into it for a little while of just trying to find... And you'll find like reports of actors that have died or stunt people that have been died or injured. But crew members, unless it's a, like a really egregious thing like the Sarah Jones deal where it's like they have so badly messed up and broken the law that that's those are the ones you hear about unless you're sitting on a film set and the crew is talking about like horror stories that's when you hear about it yeah well you see enough in memory of in credits i think at times to know that people die making movies yeah and i mean sadly they don't care like they have insurance out on each one of their crew members so if you do die on their show they're still going to make money off your dead body well, hopefully it's not quite as cold as that. Do you, do you really think that that's true? you really think they don't care? Uh, I'm not going to say everybody doesn't care. I'm just going to say that uh, a lot of them don't. Hmm. I mean, I've seen a director of photography go down to his knee with chest pains, have two department heads plus the medic next to him, and the director walks by him clutching his chest and comes up to us and is like I know this is weird guys but we kind of got to keep going and it's like yeah this is really weird like you know that guy who's sitting there clutching his chest with our bosses there next to him he was telling us where to put this gear right now would you like us to set it on him like they don't care when it comes down to it they want to make their show and they're the show must go on as they like to say but uh, it's got a lot more negative connotations attached to it than they'd like to say. Mm. Money fuels it, and the only thing that keeps them from abusing us is little things that ensure that, like, say, meal penalties. We come in, and if you haven't fed us within six hours or broken us for a meal, you have to pay money. And if it isn't a financial pain to them, then they don't care. Like, they would work us indefinitely without feeding us if they didn't have to. And they would, if they could, they would break us for an hour and send us off to go eat our own meal and they wouldn't pick up the tab. But it makes more financial sense for them to hire a catering crew, bring them in, break us on the spot, 
so they know that they've got a set amount of time that we're all going to be here. If you right. leave campus, anything could happen. Right. You get in a wreck, show up late, go get hammered. There's so many possibilities. So they're like, feed us there because it makes more financial sense to them. If it didn't make more financial sense to them, guess who'd be buying your meal? You. I don't know if you want to, if you don't want to share this story, you don't have to, but you, I remember you telling a story about uh, one night when you were driving a, um, I think it was a pickup truck with, uh, I with think a bunch I know of, where this one's headed. <laughs> yeah, with a bunch of um, distro cable and a generator. Yeah, unfortunately, I'd been working uh, about three months straight. I had two days off during the course of it, like separated greatly from one another. I had just done a string of 14-hour days, and I was exhausted, and I was dropping off one of the grip trucks because the rental house I was working for had their own package. And uh, the owner was like, hey, you know, I hate to ask. I need you to go pick up a generator for me. And, like, I was resistant because I really didn't want to. I was just beat. And he's like, oh, I don't have any other options. So I'm like, okay, I got you. So I go pick up this generator about an hour and a half away big Ford pickup truck and I think it was a 500 amp generator I think a 200 gallon tank on it pretty good size not gigantic but good enough so I was driving back and I started getting really cross-eyed and head drooping and then I'm like acknowledging I'm falling asleep so I'm like all right when I get to town I'm gonna grab some coffee and then I'll make it the next 30 or 40 minutes back to the place and then I woke up going through a, about a 20-inch thick wooden electrical post, knocked the transformer off and saw it crash to the side of the truck. The post that I hit snapped at the base and held on at the lines above and I actually saw it swing around the front of the truck and hit the generator I was hauling. And I got lucky actually that I hit that post because beyond it was a house that and right at the corner of it, so I know I would have blown through that thing without even it seeming like it was there. So, I mean, the fact that I didn't murder, like, a child or run into a house became, like, a good note on the day. It took a while for me to see it that way because, <laughs> you know, I had to call up a guy and tell him that I just wrecked his truck and severely injured his generator as well. But, uh, you know... At the end of the day, I took out power to a small Ohio town for about seven hours, and uh, $7,000 plus dollars later, they uh, had it restored, and I was driving home in the same Ford. Really? Yeah. Like the, the truck was still drivable? I ended up hitting the um, post directly on a hitch point that was on the front of the vehicle. Right, which probably was right on the frame rail. Right on the frame which yeah. I think was one huge thing. And, I mean, I bent that hitch point straight into the frame. It was, like, melded into it by the time I looked at it later. So I think hitting that point probably did a good deal towards saving both the vehicle and me. Yeah, I would think so. Wow. Yeah, there's been a couple of near misses. Yeah, you got really lucky that time, I would say. I don't tell family about those ones. <laughs> They're already worried enough about the job. Right. But now I'm a lot uh, smarter. <laughs> I don't really think of myself as invincible anymore, so I go the little extra length to uh, make sure I take care of me first. 
Well, that'll something like that's certainly a wake-up call, no pun intended. Yeah, I mean, if that's not a sobering moment for you, then uh, good God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question. So, you know, you, you talk about doing something else. Is that, are you gonna? Because I, I think, you know, it seems like it's impossible to change to do something different than what you're doing, but I don't think that's true. I think it is possible. You know, I've got... There isn't anybody on a film set who doesn't want to do something else, either whether it be make their own movie, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've got so many irons in the fire that I want to work on. But, um, but yeah, how do you find time when you're on set for 12 to 20 hours a day? Yeah, I mean, every now and then I've gotten some artwork done while I'm on set in downtime, which has been a nice like way to pass the time. But uh, right now I'm on Dolly, so it's a lot more demanding of even my downtime because you just got to be there next to your operator, constantly focusing on helping them out to achieve the shot. Do you and do you find find the day to go to be better or more enjoyable when you're busy or when you're not busy? The day goes faster usually. The worst part is when you're like when you're busy. Yeah. 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 When you're busy, the day usually goes a lot faster. But the terrible times are the days when you're just getting murdered and you look at the clock and it's moving just as slow as normal. Oh, yeah. And you're like, no, there's no way that wasn't a four hour like, setup right there. You're like, <laughs> that was not 45 minutes. There's no way. But, but it, there's just no, it's an industry of no happy mediums. Mm, an like, industry of of excess is what you're saying. Well, it's just the porridge is never just right. It's either mm. like so much work that you're like, good God, I need a break. Just please give me a break. Or it's like so much downtime where you're just like, please give me something to do. There's never that like just right amount of work to like downtime ratio. So that's why I say it's no happy mediums. I think we've covered most of what I was ho hoping to talk about. I got, I've got one or two more questions. I think uh, if you could go back in time and give yourself advice, you know, 15 years ago, what would you what would you say, or what would you say to somebody considering uh, following the career path that you've taken? <laughs> you know, I remember um, last time I was working in Ohio, we ended up having to drag this kid in, and uh, he was a friend of one of our newer guys, but uh, the. The newer kid we had was like pretty good and he was going to keep working i knew that much so like i was kind of like giving him advice along the way but he brings in his buddy who's never worked a day on film before and you know shows up in like khakis and a button-up shirt to work as a grip who like i don't know if any of you all are familiar but most of the time grips look more closer to homeless than employed and um <laughs> we're like oh no you don't you you don't belong and I was just like telling him that basically like it was like, you know, check out the spectacle, but like, you know, you don't want to do this shit. And my, the other kid looks over and he's like, you didn't give me this speech. And I was like, because I knew you were ruined already. We've got a whole different conversation to have. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would just say to people, if you're going to be in this industry, take the time to save the money so you can have the breaks in between because they aren't going to create themselves yeah well you won't be able to engineer them any other way and you've got to create the environment you want to live in which i'm still working on 
And uh, it sounds like the the money that you make when you're working <laughs> is enough. It sounds like that if you're careful with it, you could take time off. Exactly, but there's uh, is that hard to do? The though? same way that like productions are like goldfish in a bowl. They will expand to the size of their environment. And yeah. if you give them 14 to 16 hours to shoot, they will shoot for 14 to 16 hours. And the same way, if you give me a certain amount of weekly money, I start to expand a bit. Where And it's hard not to say, like, after a 70-plus hour week, that, like, no, don't get a steak. You don't deserve it. <laughs> or, like, don't yeah. buy that drink at that bar. Don't treat yourself a little after murdering yourself for a week. Because if I didn't do a little bit, I'd probably be insane right now (laughs) but i do need to find that happy medium in between (laughs) which eventually i'll get there hopefully yeah it's it strikes me one of the things that you were sort of talking about is what it's like to live in a certain city you know this place or that place it almost doesn't matter though when you're on set all the time like what there is to do around a certain place if you don't have any time to enjoy it it's like working in an amusement park you see, or like a snow day when you're sick. You see kids playing and you're just nose pressed against the window like, oh, I want to have fun. Remember when I used to have fun? Me either. Uh, oh, boy. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sustainable business if you do it in doses. Yeah. But you can't do it all the time and keep up a positive disposition and like I'm lucky enough that my humor comes from a really negative place so I can complain all day but it doesn't really feel like I'm one of those completely negative people who's you're just like oh this guy is such a downer it's more like oh he makes me laugh at least so it doesn't seem as bad so like that's the only thing that's helping me out at this point because I'm severely jaded and really like tired of a lot of it so what's uh what's the you know we're winding down 2018 here what's 2019 gonna bring for you are you gonna are you gonna do those uh, uh things that you feel like you would need to do to to make things uh better or is it probably just is it an un an, a comfortable uncomfortable well i'm my main goal next year is just to save up enough money to where i don't have to do this all the time yeah Because, I mean, the way I've been playing it thus far is, like, I can have two to four weeks of, like, no work before my bank account's going to start screaming at me to get back to work. So, I mean, a lot of that is overhead from going to a ridiculously expensive art college, which was a (coughs) waste of money. Thanks a lot, CCAD. Put in a little tag for you there. You guys, uh are the worst but uh, at least they didn't prepare me for the art world or school so or film industry so i got that going for me there's nothing better than when you've got some buddies who like got out of jail and you're like man you're just as good if not better than me good old college education coming in handy again but uh yeah besides that that would be one piece of advice if you do want to get into the film industry do not do not do not go to any art college or film college. It's a waste of time. Unless you're going to go to some prestigious one where you're going to make a lot of good contacts, that would be the only reason to go. Take the contacts and run. But you're going to learn more 
on a set. You're going to get actual experience on a set. You graduate and the first question, what experience do you have? I went to school. Second question, what experience do you have? Yeah. And the answer is none. Yeah. And I mean, that's the sad reality of it is like you graduate high school and the first thing is like, okay, I got to go to college now. And it's like, do you? I'm like, if you're learning a trade or something useful, go for it. But if it's a really, like, ambiguous, like, type of education, ask yourself what it's going to be good for later on. Because a lot of those are hard to answer. Yeah. And if you can't figure out the answer then, it's probably going to be a lot harder to figure out later once you're in the hole. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I work in education, so I, I, I uh, you know, I, I really actually do hear what you're saying. And what I'm doing right now is part of our efforts to. Oh, did I just completely to, undermine? <laughs> Never mind, kids, go to school. <laughs> no, no, I think, you know, I, I do think it depends an awful lot on what, uh, what it is that you're pursuing. And I think that you're absolutely 100% right to ask the question, is there really a connection between what I want to do with my life and what I'm spending money on in school? What, and, what kind and, of return of yeah. investment are you looking for? Yeah. And, and if you're looking to enrich your mind and, and like just l- learn more about a subject, then by all means, jump right in. But if you're trying to make money in the future, ask yourself if this is going to get you there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that depending on what you want to do, there's better. There are there are some things that are better and some things that are not. Like, uh, but yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right that you need to ask those questions. Well, that's yeah. the thing; they don't want you asking those questions too early on, or at least they just don't tell you. Maybe that was just my school. Another plug for CCAD, but um, you know, a lot of places are trying to take your money. Oh yeah, and. You really need to take the time to think about like what's your end game, which is something I've never done before. It's like, oh yeah, you know, it's just a straightforward motion. Like, all right, here I go to this point. What's my next spot on the game board? Uh, three paces forward to the workforce. Like, but there was never a thought of like, all right, what's my actual goal? I mean, yeah. once I got into grip work, it became like I want to be a key grip. But then it was like, well, why? It's like, am I going to buy gear? Because I don't want to buy gear. Then I got to buy a truck. I don't want to buy a truck because then I got to buy a lift gate. And I don't want to buy all that because it's expensive <laughs> and it becomes a crutch, a curse and a blessing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I'm starting to come to the unfortunate idea of like, do I really want to keep doing this? And the answer is probably not unless it's in minimal doses. One of the things that you're talking about is like the need to feel forward movement, you know, and you're looking at like, what's, you know, what, what's the way up from here? What's a step towards the top of the mountain? And um, it doesn't sound like those things are appealing to you. You know, it's just one of those things where the reward has to be equal to the effort. Yeah. And if you're not getting that kind of fulfillment, either monetarily and or just through the enjoyment of what you're doing, because at one point, just the experiences I had was part of my paycheck. 
Yeah. You and just, yeah. Once the the luster starts to wear off of those moments, then all you got is that paycheck, mm. and that's not enough. Yeah. Like if you're not physically enjoying the grueling work you're doing, then the thrill is gone. You know, you can't get that back. So, that's about where I'm at with it. It's like, it's a, getting to the draw line in a sand type of point where, gotta decide how much longer I can keep doing this because there's only, you know, a finite number of dolly parties you can have or, you know, you only can lift so many sandbags in a lifetime. Yeah. So it's starting to occur to me that, you know, there how, is an end. How long have you been doing it now? 15 years, did you say? Uh, since 03 or 04. Yeah, so, so 14, 15, yeah. yeah long there. enough to where I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I man, I I wish you the best as you as you do figure out what moving forward looks like for you. It'll be a slow progression. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, thank you for taking time to to share from your journey and your experience. And um, I hope the rest of your shoot goes well. You got another twenty twenty ish weeks oh, to yeah. go. Yeah. It's it's actually good. I mean, I've got a really cool operator, so we get along, and the rest of the guys on my crew are great. So, you know, I feel good about this one right now. It's just well, going to be long, a lot of work and long hours, but at least I've got a good cast alongside me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's uh, when you aren't busy, it's easy to wish you were busy, and when you are busy, it's easy to wish that you're not. Like you said, it's an industry of extremes. No of happy excess. mediums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, you know, all I can say is uh, I don't want to be too negative about the industry. I know it happens naturally for me, so it's hard to fight. <laughs> but uh, like I said, uh, there's been plenty of amazing experiences and some of the best and worst people I've ever met in my life throughout these 14 years. I mean, I wouldn't take a thing back in that regard. If you are interested in the industry, just try and talk to some people, get your name out there, show them that you're willing to work and think for yourself, but be smart about it. Watch what people do when they're around you and kind of learn, take your cues off them. And if you want to get in, it's really not that hard. You just got to be diligent. And I hope it works out better than it has for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like the perfect ending to this. Um, yeah, just, man, thanks for taking the time. I know it's precious time. Yeah, it's time. been good. Glad I got to come by. So there's a lot to chew on here in this interview. I really do appreciate John taking the time to, uh, to share with us. You know, in many ways, the path of least resistance is to keep doing the thing that is putting food on the table. But ultimately, I think that can be negative if you just feel trapped. So I really hope that John finds that uh, way to either make peace with the thing that he's choosing to do with his life or to find something that's a better fit that brings him new challenges. So anyway, I hope you'll join us next time for the next episode of Pictures Up. Thank you.